Web 2.0 Innovation Trend Collaboration Software Metadata Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 324 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we wrapped up a big four-part series on the takeaways from our new book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Work From Home Edition, in an episode in which our friend Debbie Foster turned the tables on us and interviewed Tom and me. It's a fun and informative show that we recommend to you. In this episode, we wanted to share some of our favorite tips to help turn you into a Microsoft Teams wizard. Tom, What's all on our, on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be sharing some of our favorite tips to level up your Microsoft Teams game. In our second segment, we'll go to the Deadpool and talk about what some are calling the Google Product Cemetery uh, and what Google Product is most likely to find its way there next. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up... Uh, We felt that it was time to share some tips. We haven't done that uh, in a while, so we thought we'd share some tips. And this time, the topic is Microsoft Teams. And yes, some of these can be found in the new edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies Work from Home Edition, which is out now and available for order. We have included a link in the show notes for you. Back in October of 2020, uh, as we were all settling in to working from home, uh, we interviewed the great Karwana Gatimu uh, from Microsoft about this relatively new collaboration tool. I say relatively, it was new to lawyers. It was had been around for a while called Microsoft Teams. Um, not new to most, to a lot of people, but new to lawyers. And fast forward two years and adoption of Teams has really skyrocketed in the business world. Uh, and I think to a certain extent in law firms. So we wanted to revisit my favorite collaboration tool and give the latest tips on getting the most out of it. Dennis, would you agree that Microsoft Teams is the clear big winner of the legal tech collaboration universe over the past few years? Yeah, and, and by a landslide. I, I wrote wrote up a summary of the uh, the 2022 ABA Tech survey results on, on cloud computing, and uh, Microsoft Teams had about a 50% share. I'm also looking at uh, Legal Technology News survey of larger forms, and Microsoft Teams was at uh, 68%. In that survey among big firms, Slack was less than 4%. So kind of like, what the heck happened to Slack? And there's there's definitely a move, I mean, a big move toward Teams. Well, and you know, I think Slack, to a certain extent, has benefited by being purchased by Salesforce. Lots of companies that use Salesforce's CRM software may also be likely to use Slack. But here's the problem. Microsoft enjoyed an advantage. Um, its roots were already planted in most law firms and companies within Microsoft Office. So it, it kind of was poised to grab that level of share. As Office migrated to the cloud and became Microsoft 365, it started adding tools, including Microsoft Teams, so that companies and law firms 
got Teams for free. It just came along as part of it because they're already using Office. But you had to pay to use Slack. So why buy something that you already had to use? And I think many would argue, uh, many who have used Slack would argue that Slack's feature set is much better than Teams. In fact, uh, there was a story earlier this year, I can't remember if we mentioned it on the podcast or not, um, where uh, a guy who was interviewing for a tech job, um, once he learned that the company he was applying for used Microsoft Teams, he said, I'm sorry, I can't work for you unless you use Slack. Uh, and, and And he based his decision solely on the use of Teams. But Teams has advantages over Slack. First, it has a built-in meeting capability that Slack, until only recently, was able to sort of duplicate or replicate, I guess is probably the better word. And second and most important, Teams is completely integrated and tied to the other Microsoft 365 tools, including all the Office applications. And that kind of combination is just hard to beat. So that those level of adoption in the legal world is really not surprising to me. And I'm I'm thinking, Tom. One of the things, as I thought about this episode, it's it's kind of my response to to lawyers and other legal professionals who say to me, or sometimes they whine to me, that there's just so much to learn in legal tech, and they don't even know where to begin or or what to do. And to me, the the adoption of Teams and how it's being used, and how and in how many places by how many people, Teams adoption is a locomotive. And if you're going to pick a train to jump on, to me, this is it. And I think that one of the best ways to develop legal tech expertise and to be known as an expert is to get very good at one thing to start with. And if I were going to pick one thing to start with these days, it would be Teams. I agree. And I think it comes back to it's something you already have. It's something we talk about all the time is why not get good at something that already exists for you in most cases. Now, we may be talking to people who don't have Microsoft 365 yet. If you are among those that don't have it, go get it. I don't know why you don't have it already. You should have gotten it over the past two years, but if you didn't, go get it now. If you've got Microsoft 365, you should already be finding a way to use Teams only if you're testing it out. Most of the the companies that I work with who are slowly and cautiously working with Teams are right now only using it as as a Skype replacement, as they used to use for Skype and using it for instant messaging and chat. And they really aren't taking full advantage of other things yet, which I think is not a bad thing, is to is to go in and use the chat, learn how it works. That's a good way to get in, involved in it and then take some of our tips and uh, learn how to go further with it. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, Steve Jobs has said the best camera to use is the one you have with you or words to that effect. And Teams feels the same way. Like, I think the best collaboration tool that you can use is the one you actually have in, in front of you. So so Teams, Teams kind of fits that, and I think you can uh, uh, become a, a team superstar with a little effort. And that's why we're going to talk about tips today. Tom, you want me to start us off? Yep, you kick it off. All right. So my first tip uh, really comes down to that is like if you're going to get good at teams, you have to learn how to get good at, good at it. And I, I think that means training. And I think it means sort of regularly trying to learn more. And the good news for you is that there are fantastic uh, resources for that from the Microsoft uh, Teams website, uh, YouTube videos. If you're at a firm that has a training department, 
They'll probably give you a directed training. There are webinars out there. There are all kinds of things. And just by putting in a modest amount of work from a half hour to an hour a week, I would say over a few months, you're you're going to be at a, a really high level of knowledge about teams and people are going to say like, wow, you're really good at this. You're the expert. We, you know, you're our teams person. And that's going to, that's going to help you both in the collaboration you're doing and in, in the, the impression and the reputation that you create for yourself as a legal technology expert. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And with that in mind, I will recommend one YouTube channel that I think is really good. Um, It's a Microsoft employee. His name is Mike Falfson. I'll put a link in in the notes to his channel. He does tips for all the Microsoft products, but he does lots and lots and lots of Microsoft Teams tips. It's a great place to kind of learn about some of the features of Teams that you might not know about. My tip follows on Dennis's, and it does that because I'm actually, I probably shouldn't start out with a more advanced or down-the-road tip, but it kind of went along with Dennis's learning tip, which is look at the Microsoft Teams adoption page on the Microsoft website. They have a site dedicated to helping companies get off the ground with Microsoft Teams. Now, some of this you may not be ready for. It's, it's, um, it, it's kind of designed to use with your employees. You know, once you've gotten bitten the bug, gotten bitten by the bug, and you like using Teams, this is about helping others to become engaged with it, to find out how to use it to where, how they like it, to build champions, to make sure that people in your firm or in your company um, are champions for using it. Um, There's a ton of use cases in there um, to see how others are using Teams. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, Teams is there and I get it, but what, how am I going to use it? What difference does it make to me? There's some great use cases in here that you can see how other companies are making use of it, and something may spark uh, some inspiration for you to try to use that. So I, I think keep this, even if you're not ready to drive adoption in your firm and you're really looking for more like what Dennis talked about, the YouTube stuff, keep this webpage in your back pocket because it's got a lot of useful resources um, on how you can get more educated on uh, Teams and then how you can help your employees uh, and your coworkers uh, get more educated and get more excited about using it. All right, I'm going to move right into another tip really quickly. And this tip is a lot simpler. And this tip is just learning how to use the forward slash. If you go up to the top uh, box in your Teams application, there's a search box up there. And if you just go up and type a forward slash mark, that's all you have to do. Type that forward slash mark. You will get a full list of all the different actions you can take just by typing a slash mark. It'll give you the full list of everything you can do. You can... Set your status. There are different ways you can say set your status to to available. You can set it to busy. You can set it to offline. Just by typing those words in, you don't have to go and find a place, find the place in there that where any of this happens. You're able to set that status. You can type a, a slash chat or slash call, and then a person's name to talk to them to immediately call or chat with them. You can slash uh, to see recent files. You can go. You can. 
type slash to go and, and then the name of a team or a channel to go straight to that channel. You can see any recent activity that you might be involved in, um, all the times you've been mentioned. I'm just getting started. There's a ton of things that you can see from this. I think just type the slash bar, uh, slash button so that you can see um, what all the options are and then take more use of them as you start getting used to using the tool. Yeah, that's a great tip, Tom. So I have like a super simple one as well. And and this is like one of my pet peeves and, and something that I thought once we went more online would become less of a problem. Unfortunately, it's a area where we as humans have ported some of our bad in-person habits uh, into the online collaboration world. And so my tip is, if you're doing meetings in team, just be on time. I mean, like, I don't know why this is so hard because you can you can set reminders, you log in, you should be at a meeting right when it starts. Um, I hate when people are late. I start my meetings exactly on time and I actually try to embarrass people by not summarizing you know everything for them when they come in five minutes late. Like just be on time. It's it's courtesy. Um, it's so easy to do uh, with the reminders and stuff you you have um, on your computer and, and team makes it super easy to do that. So be on time. And speaking of which, we need to be on time uh, and take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. See what I did there? We'll be right back. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. And we are back, and Tom and I are sharing some of our favorite Microsoft Teams tips. And I'm going to start with my tip number three. So one of the things I, that is a little bit confusing about Teams is that uh, it's the name of the program, and then each of the uh, the areas that you work in are typically called Teams. And to me, it feels like they should be called Channels, and that's how I think of them. But uh, they are Teams, and so my tip is to be thoughtful about creating those new teams for subject matter. So you, you know, really figure out what needs to be divided into into these these separate 
teams and then route the content to the right place. I think this is really a place where if you have a random team, a team called random where you throw stuff into, it really doesn't help anybody. And then I think you, uh, as Tom has taught me over the years, you need to be disciplined. So even if you're sort of messaging the same person in real time and you have a comment that goes into one one team, then you have another thought, uh, you know, go ahead and move to that other team and, and put it there, even though it sort of feels like you you have this split personality where you're having two conversations going on at once. But it, it helps you find things later, keeps things organized. And so I think that just being very thoughtful about how you, you set up those teams uh, will pay off big benefits in, in the future. And this is something that Tom has taught me and has been extraordinarily patient about uh, having me learn. Well, and, and when I saw Dennis wanted to talk about this, I wanted to follow on along with it with a little bit more of kind of how we talk to our clients about doing it, because working with an information governance company and a consultancy, this is one of the things we're talking with clients about now is how to best organize your team so that they are they're best for you to use them. They make you more productive. Uh, you don't wind up keeping too much information in too many different places. So I wanted to follow up with a couple of other thoughts on this. So one of the biggest dangers, I think, of using Teams is creating too many teams, that you wind up just creating team after team because you think that they have something different to do with each other. You start to create them for any purpose, and before long, you have this massive list of teams, and it's hard to control, and it's hard. To, you're you're going to have them all in your list. What we usually see are companies creating sort of two types of teams, and I'll call them, for sake of this discussion, project-related and reference-related. So a project could be a team that you create to manage a piece of litigation, a lawsuit that comes in, you're conducting a transaction, or any type of matter that you undertake for a client, something that has a beginning and an end point, something that is starts now, but it's going to end at some point in the future, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, three months from now, whatever. The idea is you conduct the project, and when it's over, you move the documents from that project to a more permanent location, like a SharePoint site or other document management system that you use, and then you close down that team. You're done with it. It was for a collaboration project purposes, that collaboration purpose has ended. So now move it and, and shut it down. The other kind of team is a little bit more permanent. I think of those as reference, uh, things that are ongoing. You might have a marketing team uh, or you might where you discuss and talk about ongoing marketing efforts. Or maybe if you have a mentor program in the, in the firm or in the company, you create a mentor team where the mentors and mentees can chat with each other, share resources, those types of things. They tend to last a lot longer because they don't have a defined end. Um, be thoughtful, like Dennis said, be thoughtful about how you structure these because you can get out of control really easily. I, my other real quick tip on this would be, I think it's a terrific idea not to have a team called random, but to have a team called just for fun. Um, they can't all be serious. They can't be all be all about work. Um, we created one. We still have a, a lot more things we can do with it, but we started out by calling it the Dogs of Contoral. That's the name of my company, Contoral. We call it the Dogs of Contoral, and everybody posted pictures of their pets, uh, whether they were dogs or cats or other animals. And it was nice, and we were able to use those collaboration features to learn more about each other and have a little bit more fun. So don't use those channels and teams just for work purposes. Learn how to have fun with them too. All right, uh, we're switching it around. I'm going to take the next tip. And this tip is actually something that starts 
outside of Teams. And if you are using Microsoft Outlook, you will start to notice that in your emails in Outlook, you now have a button that allows you to share to Teams. So if that email is content that you want somebody on a team to know about, rather than forwarding that email around to everybody, don't forward that email share it to Teams so that everybody has a single copy of that communication. You have a couple of different options when you click on that button or hover over it. You have a couple of different options. You can share that email to the team. You can turn the email immediately into a Teams meeting and say, okay, this is important. And so you can turn it into a Teams meeting and everybody copied on that email will automatically be invited to that meeting when, uh, when you put it into, the, into your calendar. You can chat directly with people in the email. You can actually click a button and you can start chatting outside of Teams, but the chat shows up in Teams with the people who are copied on the email. Um, I think it's a pretty cool way to interact between Outlook and Teams, and it just keeps showing how integrated Teams and, uh, and the rest of the Microsoft 365 suite are. Dennis, you're up with your tip number four. This is one that's fairly obvious, but um, I didn't use it as much as I could have early on. But I, I think that this search tool is is really good, and it's often underused by people. And I've used it to, to go back and find conversations, even from a couple years ago with my uh, research assistants and stuff like that. It's also great. Um, Tom and I use it to say, See, I really did tell you that a while back, you know, so it's it's just really useful, um, you know, once you start to have these teams to say, um, I can go find these things. And and it's important because um, as we move to to these different tools, it's it is getting harder to say, like, oh, was that done in an email? Was that done in Teams? Was that an instant message? Was that you know, how did I do that? So um, just having that search tool in, in Teams, I think, is is highly useful. And if you haven't tried it, I think you're going to be surprised at how beneficial it is uh, for you to use it. All right. My next tip is also pretty basic, but it is incredibly important, especially if you happen to be a member of a lot of teams. If you happen to be part of a lot of teams, when somebody makes a communication in one, you'll notice that the channel to the left side in the menu uh, gets highlighted or bolded um, when there's a comment. But we never have time to look at all that. If you're a member of a lot of teams, how are you ever going to look down and say, oh, there's a new thing, I need to go look? The best way to get someone's attention or the best way to get your attention should be to use the at sign. Once you type in the at sign and then type your name, you automatically get a notification when that happens and and you may not be at your desk so you may not see the notification come in. But that post that has the at mentioned for you is now listed in your activity feed. And the activity feed is designed to show anything that concerns you that has, where someone has mentioned you by adding you, doing an at sign at your name in any team throughout the throughout all of Microsoft Teams. So that's where I go first thing in the morning is I usually have three or four or five messages sitting there in my activity feed. I go there, they're in five different teams. I can respond to them quickly and easily, but I know where they are. If somebody just types my name in and then you know a, a day later they say, why didn't you respond to me? It's because I didn't know that you were doing anything. So make sure you at somebody to make sure you get their attention or that they at you to get your attention. 
So my next one is is sort of a general tip, but a lot of people use Teams for just regular meetings. Um, and, and so uh, typically these days, things are either on in Zoom or on, they're on Microsoft Teams. And I actually think that Teams is a little bit harder to do your video setup. And then as everybody has found out these days that whether it's Zoom, Teams, Google Meet, whatever, it seems like there's a they all battle over control over your default microphone and camera, so you never know what to expect when you, you switch from one tool to another. So my tip is to is in a couple of ways you want to optimize your audio and video setup. So I with Teams, I like to do that because it's a little bit harder just to make sure that it's you know it's using what I think it is, and then then I think you do want to up the level of your microphone, your webcam, your background, your lighting, all those things that we talked about. We actually go into a lot of detail about this in the book, but I, I think that we're, it's, we're increasingly doing video meetings and um, it just makes sense to, to look more and more professional with your audio and uh, video setup. All right. For my last, this is our last round of tip, Dennis. So for my last tip, I'm actually going to cheat and do two quick tips because uh, I, I came up with seven and I couldn't decide what to cut. So I'm not going to cut any of them. So it's our podcast. We can do what we want. Um, so here are my two tips for tip number six, which is one. I talk about the fact that you might be member of lots of teams, but there might be teams that you're a member of that you don't need to see all the time, that, that there may be three or four teams that are most important to you. You spend most of your time working in them, but you don't want to see all the rest of them. All you have to do is click the buttons right next to a team, and the first the first option in the in the menu is hide. And what it will do is it will hide it down below. There's down below you'll see a, a new line below your active teams. It'll be a line that says hidden teams. And when you click that toggle button, it will show all the teams that you belong to that you're not seeing. So um, I use that all the time. I only have the teams that I am active in all day long at the top, so I don't. Have have to scroll all the way through all the teams unless I need to get to one of those hidden teams. Really easy for me to do. Last tip is, and this is something I don't see very many people doing, but I think you should, which is make use of tabs in your channels. If you notice when you go into a channel for a team, you've got your posts, which are your chat, your communications. You've got a, a tab for files, which get you to your files. And then there's a plus sign. And if you click on it, you can add just about anything you want to. You can add um, a, a spreadsheet uh, and, and have a, a spreadsheet that you can all access in one place. You can add um, a wiki page that you turn into a web page that says rules for this channel or something like that. Dennis and I created um, a channel for um, getting guests for the podcast. And one of our tabs is a Trello board that we use that has lots of information about the speakers we're trying to get. The second one is a spreadsheet on all of our episode planning so that we can go to it and get to it immediately. We don't have to go and dig into files and look at the file from there. It's immediately available to us. You don't have to use just those apps. There's tons of third-party apps that you can connect to it, and it increases the value of working in a channel just exponentially because there's so many different things that you can do um, by adding a tab. So go explore the plus sign next to your uh, posts and files tabs and see if there are tabs that might work for your teams. Dennis, what's your last tip? 
I'm going to cheat and do two like you, but I'm going to do them really fast. So the first one is that Tom and I use Teams and there's just two of us on the team and it's really useful for us. And I, so I think that there, there's, there's a message in that. And, and that is like, don't think you have to have like these big groups of people for teams to work. I think you can do it with two people could be, you know, you and your spouse, uh, you and a child, you know, whatever. And, and, and you can do that. It's it's super useful. So think about uh, using Teams in sort of non-standard, maybe non-business uh, ways. And then I want to end with the the tip we make in the book, and we've we've made it a lot on the uh, the podcast about collaboration tools. Is when you use these collaboration tools, you need to be brutal about not letting people slip back to email. Because once people slip back to email, it kills the value of the the collaboration tool. So everything you're doing, you need to enforce uh, people staying in teams and not using using email. So that's something to think through carefully and just just be super rigorous about it. All right. Well, it's time for me to be brutal and super rigorous about ending this session. Uh, ending this segment. Uh, I hope you got some good tips. We got a lot more tips. If you want them, please reach out to us. Happy to talk about Teams anytime. We love talking about Microsoft Teams. But right now, we need to take a break for a message from our sponsors. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S T A F I.cc and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Once again, Google has announced that they are killing off a product that many people, but apparently not enough for Google, uh, use regularly. This happens so often that some people uh, use the term the Google Product Cemetery. There's even a website called Killed by Google, uh, killedbygoogle.com, that has a long list of dead and soon-to-be-dead Google products. It currently lists 274 products. Tom, is this a known hazard that people need to deal with as part of due diligence in selecting uh, products from Google, something especially unique to Google. And what do you think is the next Google product that uh, is getting to be uh, ready to be loaded into the Google hearse? That's what's known as a complex question, I believe. It is many questions in one, Dennis. That is true. So, I mean, what can you say about this? Google is a company that likes to try lots of new things, and sometimes those things don't work out, uh, at least not in Google's eyes. The problem is a lot of times those things gain a small but passionate following, which causes a lot of pain and grief when that thing goes away. Dennis and I wept openly when Google killed Google Reader, um, and the untimely death of the collaboration tool Google Wave was also hard to take. Of those 274, actually, I went and looked at it. I think you said 274. It's now 275 since you looked at it the first time. They've killed something else just in the day since we've written this script. Um, of those 274, 200 of them are services, 54 are apps, and 21 are pieces of hardware. So the majority are different services they offer. So the question is, why does this happen? 
I think basically it's because Google is such a big company. They're made up of smaller teams. Those teams work on apps, services, or devices, all three of the things that are getting killed. Sometimes Google acquires a company that makes one of those products obsolete. They bought Fitbit and they're about to kill Fitbit off to put it into their watches. So sometimes two teams develop similar tools and one of them invariably gets killed off. Some services just go out of date because they just don't make sense anymore. Sometimes they try an experiment to see if it sticks and if it doesn't, they kill it. Google has killed a lot of things, but it hasn't killed the big things. It hasn't killed Gmail. Gmail's still around. YouTube isn't going anywhere. Google Chrome and Google Photos seem to be enjoying long lives. Um, So to answer your initial question, Dennis, I think the other companies do this, but none of them do it with the frequency of Google. I think Google stands alone in how they kill things and at the frequency at which they kill things. So yes, look at a new Google service like you like with a wary eye. I think that when it comes to a Google service, be aware that you might that there might be issues with it and ask if this service goes away am i going to have to do a lot of work to move to a new tool for example when google reader went away i was unhappy but it didn't take me long to find another rrs reader that worked just as well and i'm okay with that i've i've grieved and i've moved on and i'm fine on the other hand if google photos ever goes away Moving all my photos is going to be a huge issue, and I'm going to be really unhappy. I'm hoping this is one of their lifer products, um, but you never know. Now, as for your last question, uh, which Google product is next? You know, I, I literally have no idea. I'm not going to predict. I will say it's not going to be a big one. It's going to be one of their smaller things that they do, and that's why it's hard to predict what it is because you never actually know. Yeah, so it's this interesting thing, right? So Google is an innovative company, and one of the things with innovation is that you try things and things fail, and uh, the faster you can fail stuff that's going to fail anyway is, is a good thing if you're the developer of those products. And Google's, you know, for something to be successful, it's a pretty high bar for for Google. So I think they're going to kill stuff probably more frequently than other companies. Now it's tough if you're, if you really rely on that product, which is why we've sort of, uh, in, in my case, I've, I kind of shy away from from new Google things. In fact, I, I Tom is it's kind of funny today on Facebook. It like the little reminder thing I got of of a past update was from 2009. It was talking about how I was excited to be in in line to get Google Wave. You know, so a certain amount of irony in 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 that one. But I think it is, to me, it's just part of due diligence and uh, to know that things are likely to disappear. You can kind of, uh, some of these things, if you look at the, what they've killed off, they make sense. Other things you're going like, oh, this this could have been really good. I wish I would have uh, known more, more about it. If I had to guess, and I'm, you know, quite likely to be wrong, but the one I suspect might disappear as a separate product is Google Meet. But uh, if we can check back in a, a year or two and see how close to right uh, I was on that, Tom. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So my parting shot is, is a tip that um, I recently learned and I am passing on to you. And actually, I haven't 
utilized this tip yet, so I can't tell you how well it worked or not. But I will say I've been having some problem with my mesh network at home. I purchased an Eero mesh network. I love it. It's great. Um, but the current mesh network that I have is supposed to be able to replicate um, up to gigabyte speeds if you have it. And we have it here in Dallas. I have a gigabit internet. Um, I have that here um, with the, I, I connect an ethernet into my home computer and it's brilliant. It's wonderful speed, but I'm only getting about 200 megabytes download speed, which is still awesome, but it's not gigabit. So I did some research I, and I learned, and I'm going to put a, 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 a link to an article in the, uh, in the show notes called Seven Mesh Router Mistakes to Avoid. And one of the tips there is using too many or too few mesh nodes. I thought... I'm going to get, I'm going to blanket my house with coverage. I'm worried that I might not have good coverage in places. So I have, <laughs> I have a two story house and I have three downstairs and I have two upstairs. And uh, I got on the phone with the people from Eero and they said, you got way too much. They said, this can go through floors. It can go through walls. You need probably half of what you have right now or two and a half of, or, or one and a half of what you have right now, something like that. So it might very well be that uh, when you, if you set up a mesh network don't go all out don't think i've got to have it from one to the other end of my house um, these things actually have good range on them and i am learning that the hard way by having purchased too many um, i need to decide which goes where and that's my next step and maybe i'll report back on the success of that later on on how i uh, i improved my wireless connectivity throughout the house dennis yeah, it sort of sounds like you just add one at a time and, and see how it how it works um, and whether it's. But I got to okay figure out is that one at a time upstairs or downstairs because it can <laughs> go through the floors. It's a good question. I don't know. It's, I would just say the good news is they say it is much easier to get good coverage in a two-story house that is more compact than a one-story ranch-style house that is spread out, and we don't have that. So that should at least make it a little bit easier. Or you could just, uh, you know, get a new house that's perfectly suited for for the number of routers that you have. That and was not that was not the purpose of this <laughs> tip. <laughs> so anyway, I I've been looking at the ABA uh, annual uh, technology survey results and also the uh, the LTN tech survey uh, from from law.com of, of bigger firms and and so some of the numbers are out and I I've been looking at security is is the thing that. And, uh, and cloud usage, which is the interesting area for me. So I, I am really troubled by uh, what law firms are doing, actually what they're not doing with on, on the security side. And these numbers just bared out. So I'm just looking at the LTN numbers, which I, I put in the, the show notes because the, uh, the ABS stuff won't be out for a little while. And from what people perceive as the biggest security threat, 39% employee negligence, 36% ransomware, 14% phishing attacks. Yeah, you know, I think those those numbers are a little haywire to me in terms of what the real threats are out there. Uh, and then the the steps people have taken are, are just sort of shocking how low the numbers are. So increasing internal uh, cybersecurity training, about two thirds. Hiring cyber, outside cybersecurity expertise, half. 
increasing training, 14%. I mean, it's, it's just really kind of shocking how little is going on out there. And, and then also, I think the, the move to the, crowd, the cloud in, in large firms is actually quite a, uh, significantly smaller than I would expect it to be. So slight increase is the highest category, 64%. Anyway, these, you know, these numbers to me are always useful to give you an idea of what's going on and to see where the gap is between what's, you know, what we think is happening and what is actually happening and can, can help you set your strategy. But the cybersecurity numbers really, really give me a lot of concern in light of the current threats out there. I think that given all of that, it is surprising. But then again, the numbers aren't different from how they've been every other year. I mean, it's always shocking to see how few people are taking security seriously. All right. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes on the Legal Talk Network site or in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or leave us a voicemail. Remember, we always like to include your voice messages uh, for our B segment. Uh, that number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.